Hello and welcome back to You Want to Do What with Dan and Julie. Today we're talking all about insurance. Don't worry, it's not actually as boring as it sounds. <laughs> Today we have Sam, who is an underwriter, and Phil, who is a broker. Now they both work in the oldest insurance market in the world, based in the city of London. Um, hi guys, want to introduce yourselves? Hi guys, good to be here. I'm Sam and I'm an upstream energy underwriter in the city in London. And uh, I'm Phil. I'm a specie broker uh, in the city of London as well. What is a specie broker, Phil? Well, it's not what most people think, and we don't do zoo animals and different <laughs> species like that. <laughs> um, it's actually a species derived from like ancient term meaning something of value. Um, so really, uh, we ensure things of value. So anything that's shiny... Um, you know, precious metals, jewellery, fine art, cash. Um, yeah, anything that has an intrinsic value, really. Um, what is upstream energy, Sam? Okay, upstream energy is... So the energy insurance market is split into two, basically. You have upstream and downstream. So upstream energy is the, sort of the process of getting hydrocarbons out of the ground. And then downstream energy is the processing and refining part of the risk. So... Um, I do the upstream energy part. So you're an underwriter. What does that actually mean to most people? They only see underwriter maybe on their car insurance. You know, this has been underwritten by. What What do you actually do? So I, I basically take the risk um, of an insurance policy um, and I charge a premium for it. Um, and if the client has a claim, I will pay the claim. Um, and if they don't have a claim, then... Fortunately, the insurance underwriter then makes a profit. So that's how that's how our company makes money. And so how does that differ to a broker? What does a broker do? Well, I guess like, I'm, the, I'm the front part of that. So the, uh, the client will come to me um, and I will take that risk uh, to, to Samuel uh, as the underwriter. So the client, you know, the way that market works, you, you can't as an individual or as a company go direct to the underwriter to, to source your policy. Um, and the reason for that is because it's, you know, it's a subscription type marketplace. So you go to a broker like me who will then go out to the various underwriters in, that London, in the London market to find the best deal. And the best deal is not always you know, based purely on price. It might, might well be on the conditions that they're willing to offer as well. So, you know, yeah, my side is the business has to get to the underwriter and that's where we come in to play so a little bit of disclosure for all my sins i used to be in the uh in the same markets these two um but i left unfortunately <laughs> <laughs> well unfortunately maybe i don't know um but it's the oldest insurance market in the world isn't it it's something like 300 over 300 years old it started by um this guy in a calf and they used to insure uh basically boats going across the world right that's how it started yeah, absolutely. It's um, so it was founded in 1686 um, by a chap called Edward Lloyd, and it was founded in his coffee house. And yeah, as you rightly point out, it was initially set up to insure sort of hull um, and sort of sea-going, ocean-going vessels that would go from one place to another. And um, yeah, that's that's how it started, and that's sort of one class of many, many businesses, specialty class classes of business that that are placed in, in and around the insurance market in London. So what we talk about classes. So classes of business, like Phil, you work in Specie, which is completely different to what Sam does, which is upstream energy. But there's, you know, there's so many different classes in the insurance market. You can specialise in, well, you can go very, very niche, can't you? And then very, very wide, like hull and, and you know, ships and classic cars and diamonds, jewellery. Um, it's, it's incredibly varied, isn't it? Oh, yeah, certainly. You know, you get... Um, if you think that this marketplace caters for all the way down to personal lines, so an individual's typically, you know, okay, I'm not going to get my, I'm not going to source my house insurance just because I don't have enough things of value. But <laughs> um, you know, yeah, you get personal lines all the way through to you know more on you know like on Samuel's side, you've got multi-billion-dollar companies sourcing their insurance. You know, and this is uh, these deals are being done in you know a, a one building in London. You know, it's um, it's quite incredible. You know, the span of business, and you know, I might one day, you know, be out in the marketplace 
placing insurance policy for a few thousand pounds, whereas, you know, only a stone's throw away from me, you know, an underwriter might well be doing a deal for five million, you know, five million pounds worth of premium. So, mm. yeah, it's, a, it's such a varied place and, yeah, you know, it's, yeah, huge spans. So when we say it's a subscription market, what that basically means is you have to go around and, and get your risk up to 100%. So Phil, would, you'd go to somebody like Sam and you might get them to do like a 10% of that total sum that you're trying to insure. And then you've got to walk around, still to this day, people walk around a building um, with paper and say, hello, Mr. Underwriter. And then you have to broke. There's an art to a broke, isn't there? Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, certainly. Yeah. I mean, you've got to think really as the, um, I mean, go back to your first point, you know, about the subscription market. You know, you've got, um, you've got really, you might you might have a small risk when underwriter will write a hundred percent of it, but you've also you know got the larger risks. Um, and I, you know, I'm guessing on Sam's side, there's not many uh, underwriters that are writing a hundred percent of the sort of risks they're doing. But in the specie market, some of the smaller stuff is. But then, yeah, you you've got the larger risks where, and not necessarily larger in size, but also ones that are perhaps you know offer a greater level of risk. Um, yeah, where you need a subscription market, and you're going to multiple people, and they're each taking a small share of that of that uh, risk. Now, as the broker, you're kind of just you're kind of like a glorified salesman, I suppose. <laughs> um, and really, you know, your it's your job to sell that risk to the underwriter. Now, you might you've got an idea of which underwriter is best for a certain risk you know depending on what you've got different underwriters have different appetite for different types of uh, risk even within a class so you know you might well if i have a species risk that's fine art then i know which people to go to that are going to be you know the best for that and uh you know and again like i said not just the best from the from a pricing perspective you know it's, it's really it's a balance you've got to balance all the elements of what you're trying to achieve so you want the best price you can, but also at the best terms and conditions you can get. So it's just, it's, you know, that's where the broker's knowledge comes in um, more than anything in the, you know, making sure that they're doing the best they can for their client. So how, as obviously in two different, very, two different industries within uh, insurance, how much of a knowledge of that industry do you need to know? Like species, do you, how much do you know about art? Like, is that actually something that is required or do you go to specialists? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, what do you need? Do you need to know about art? Not especially. I'm what I always, I'm always very open with my clients. I say, you know, you can put a painting in front of me. I couldn't tell you if it was worth 10 million pounds or 10 pounds. Um, what I know is how to place art insurance. Um, you know, we rely upon experts to tell us that information so you know generally the people that are insuring valuable art you know they'll have had valuations and we'll rely upon valuations from Sotheby's or Christie's you know one of the big auction houses or whatever um so I'm not there to say you know yes that art is worth x amount you know there's a uh, there's people to do that so yeah what what I'm there to do is to ensure that in the best way possible so Phil's job is obviously to come in and sell you something, right? And now as the underwriter, you've got to almost be on your guard a little bit because essentially these guys are coming in to sell you something. How do you take what a broker says and be like, okay, that is, obviously you don't, no brokers never lie. If you lie, you're, you're screwed. Brokers never lie. <laughs> but how do you, how do you determine, okay, this is a good risk. I'm, I'm going to take a punt on it. I'm going to write it. So yeah, it's a really good question. Um, as an underwriter, your um, your main role is to assess the risk effectively, um, and there's various ways you can do that. You can do your own research. You can um, request information from the client, to which you can then go through yourself, um, or you or you, as well you listen to the broke because the broke that the broker is giving you. Um, so the negotiation part of of that is um pretty important because they're the ones that are closest to the client so although we have contact with the clients um and usually once a year hopefully we'll um, be able to meet with them um to understand them a bit better but 
but you are reliant upon the broker and what they're telling you because at the end of the day they should be um, they're getting paid for um, for having a knowledge of that client in order for them to be able to sell the product to us and then it's my job to sort of assess that and there's various ways I'll do that so I've got um, for example we've got an in-house engineer that works for us that will um, assist me in going through the information um, as as well as sort of I have to be quite not careful but I have to be quite specific with the questions that I'm asking the broker in order to get specific answers because there might be some brokers that will only tell you all of the good stuff but not necessarily about the bad stuff so does a broker come to an underwriter within the same with it or within whatever um, company because are you not going against your own company then is it from no so yes it's, it's a good question so the, it's the in building where the um where the insurance sort of where the negotiations take place is is in one building and yes the broker does come to the underwriter um you sit down face to face and you discuss the risk um you discuss the underwriter's appetite for for taking on that risk um each each company so each individual company has a part and they're known as boxes, um, which are sort of individual areas. So the building, for example, houses probably hundreds of different companies within one building. And then the brokers don't tend to base themselves in that building, but they will they'll have access, daily access to that building. And then they treat it as a marketplace. They'll walk around as as Dan points out with his with their slipcase which contains all the policy documentation and the supporting information for the risk um, and we'll we'll walk around and go from company to company selling his clients um, policy effectively that was definitely the, the favorite part of the of working in that industry for me the sort of the art of the broke not that I was any ever any good at it but <laughs> I gave it a go <laughs> sure don't laugh <laughs> um, but yeah, that was part of the, you know, the the trying to convince the underwriter, not lie, tell them the truth, but also paint it in a good light. That was the most fun part of working insurance for me, definitely. And there's so much history in the, you know, the way you do it. There's sort of etiquette and, you know, the, everyone still dresses up in suit and tie. And, well, they just got rid of that tie rule, didn't they? Um, yeah, yeah, the tie rule is now gone. But, yeah, you're, you're right. It's, and that, that's what think a lot of clients love as well though is you know that that old-fashioned uh process and you know there's um and yeah the we still do today you know which to many people is a very like antiquated process but you know sam he sits like he sits at his at his box waiting for brokers to bring along and sell their fares um and you know We'll queue up if I, you know, if I want to go and see uh, the underwriter, and there's five other people that also want to see him. You know, we have to f- just form a queue and wait your turn. The trouble is, the guy in front of you might have an hour's worth of business to do, so you're going to just stand there wasting that time waiting. But the flip side of it, you know, Friday four o'clock, something comes in urgent. You know that you can walk to and you can find someone, and you'll be able to you know get that risk covered or get it extended whatever it is you need to do you not you haven't got the whole thing where you, you know where we would get you know if you're just always trading electronically where you send you've got to send an email to ask someone to do that at four o'clock on a friday and they've already gone down the pub and that's it you're <laughs> like it's out of the question so you know whilst it's old-fashioned it kind of still works and i think you know this period whilst we've been like in you know in our COVID lockdown is perhaps been the first real test of can it work, you know, outside of that. Um, and, you know, I'm sure, yeah, some practices will change, but I think, you know, ultimately that we'll still get that same, you know, face-to-face interaction. I think it's, you know, it's been really, it's what it's been based on for years and it's worked. So like, you know, does it need to change? Mm. So sort of to, to summarise what insurance is in, in what we're talking about today, the context is it's the old market, 300 years old. There's, insurers and there's brokers underwriters and brokers and the broker's role is to walk around and basically place their risk get 100 percent signed up um and and do the broken it's it's quite a technical industry I, I, that part is definitely really good fun um and, and really interesting but 
how did you actually get into it, Sam? So what was your sort of lead up into it? You Did you go to uni? What did you study? How did you get into being an underwriter? Okay, so I, I chose it um, primarily because I wanted to go into the financial sector. Um, I wanted to be in London. Um, and I was fortunate enough to get some work experience when I was still at school. Um, I was 15. And I did some work experience and really enjoyed it. Um, to your university question, yeah, absolutely. I did. I did go to university, um, but I studied history, so it wasn't specific. Um, at that time, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do, so I wanted to spend three years doing something that I enjoyed, rather than something that might perhaps limit me going forward. Um, so, um, yeah, it was it was very much sort of work experience and then even when I was doing A-levels I was I was then doing because I'd enjoyed my previous stint uh, when I was 15 I then sort of when I was doing GCSEs and A-levels I was doing work experience um, both on the broking side and on the underwriting side just to get a feel for what part of insurance I wanted to do if that was where I ended up um, and although there's sort of no specific qualifications that you need for insurance i mean I, I did a history degree and i'm in the financial sector doing offshore energy um so it's it's a bit random from that respect um but there's no specific qualifications that, that you need for insurance um i do know of a few people that have done insurance degrees um and they're obviously very sort of driven and focused on wanting to do that from from an early age i, I wasn't like that um i didn't know what i wanted to do um, there are insurance exams as well, which you can do, um, which are um, known as the CII, so the Chartered Insurance Institute exams, which you can you can um, you can do if you're not in the industry and you want to try and get into the industry. I think if you can demonstrate to an interviewer that you're perhaps thinking about going and doing those exams or you're you're starting and working towards them, then that shows shows the interviewer that you're keen and sort of focused on that industry. Um, so that's sort of one of the things that you might want to consider doing if you're thinking about going into the industry. And was it a similar story for you, Phil? Um, no, not really. <laughs> when, I was, when I was at school, I wanted to join the police, um, and that's what I was going to uh, decided that's what I was going to do. My grandfather was like the local village policeman. Um, so as soon as, I, well, as soon as I was old enough, um, finished my A-levels, I joined the police and I quickly discovered that I wasn't going to be a village bobby on my push bike riding around having like a cup of tea and cakes with old ladies. I was actually going to be having getting beaten up and the, and the like. <laughs> so I uh, I quickly realised that a career change was in uh, was a, re a requirement. And um, one, one of my friends worked for a company that did a kind of a outsourced insurance services um and he was like oh we're recruiting and you don't need to know anything about insurance so you know do you want to come along and i did because my dad was giving me a load of grief about i just resigned from the police and i needed a job so i went along and yeah and i did it joined it and it wasn't it wasn't in the city or anything it was locally um yeah like i said it was like an outsourced sort of back office type role um and i was fortunate i worked there for about a year um and then one of the one of the broken houses that I communicated with in London as part of that job um, offered me a position, um, and it well it's actually still the same company I work for today, um, but yeah they've been uh, they've been uh, purchased by someone else now, but yeah I've been at that same company for sixteen years now. Wow. That's actually both the ways you guys have got into it is really common in the marketplace, isn't it? People kind of tend to fall into the market um, and into insurance. Like nobody really wakes up and goes, I want to go into insurance. No, I think, yeah, you're absolutely right. And one of, one of the things that, that Phil and I probably face a lot from, from our friends that aren't in insurance is they, they think we sit in a call centre with a headset on doing house insurance <laughs> or car insurance or something like that. And it's sort of yeah it, it's not like that um but when you're sort of at school you don't really know what what the insurance london market is like mm. um and it's only if you're fortunate to sort of stumble across it in which case or in my case sort of through through two weeks work experience um and yeah phil starting off in the police and 
ending up in insurance is yeah not not a dissimilar story <laughs> well it is obviously fairly office based it's not you're obviously up going it's finding different um and it's also very uh like bubbly i suppose isn't it it's, you've got lots of people you need to interact with you obviously have to be a salesman as well as uh a buyer and th- you know it, it, what sort of personality traits do you think really suit a uh, both a broker and an underwriter um i think from a from a broker's perspective you've got to be fairly confident um you know you are trying to sell something at the end of the day um for me i think you know one of the attention to detail is very important um, that's why i left <laughs> <laughs> it's um well like i don't don't like any like my i don't i wouldn't do it myself but i don't encourage any of my team to to leave the office until they know everything about a risk that they're going to need to know you know because you don't want to be sat in front of the underwriter and not knowing the answer to a question that he asks you because not only are you wasting his time you're wasting your own time your client's time and uh you know sam said earlier the end of the day you're getting paid for doing that good job for that client so um yeah that attention to detail and taking the time to understand what it is you're you're doing and you're selling and what your client is requiring is is really key um and yeah you need you need to be confident really and you need to be i guess a bit outgoing you know there's mm. there is a there's a very sociable side to the insurance market there is interaction with clients you know so you yeah you need to be willing to to go out and do that you bring up a really good point about the sort of social side because essentially the market is still built on relationships isn't it there are more analytics coming into what you guys do but it's still built on okay i feel comfortable going to see sam the underwriter because we have a good relationship he knows i tell him you know the facts about the risk opposed to you know misleading maybe um, and you know that if you know, so if Phil came in and said, "I've got this risk, I need your help on it," you know, need the last five percent or something, you you trust him, yeah. and that's built through both social and both broking and, and continuously building relationships. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think Phil's spot on in terms of in terms of the brokers that I tend to come across. They're they're all confident and sociable, and very good at networking, which is key for for a broker because they have to when presented with a client that has a risk in the broker's mind, I guess they have to think of all of the potential underwriters that they want to go and see. And if they only know two or three underwriters particularly well, then it's going to make their job a bit harder. If they know lots of underwriters very well, then it probably increases your chances of getting that risk placed. I think that sort of, personality traits from an underwriting perspective are probably slightly different um, in that you have to be analytical um, a bit of a risk taker as well um, you're effectively um, insuring insuring a risk and you have to you have to run the risk that that risk might um, have a claim um, so yeah there's an element of risk taking to it um, confidence absolutely the same for for underwriters as well as broking from an underwriting perspective you have to have confidence to be able to insure what you're what you're insuring um and being personable as well so that's key from an underwriter's perspective because you want as many brokers as possible to come and show you all of their business that's that's how effectively we make money we we want to write lots of policies that we like um from clients that we that we like so the more brokers that you know and the better your relationship with those brokers, the more business you're probably going to be shown, therefore the more money that you can potentially make. I think as well you get the more, you know, you're more likely then as well to see all of the broker's business rather than just like, oh, we, we're struggling on this one, we'll go and see Sam, like hopefully he'll finish us off. Like Sam wants to be seeing all of my business so he sees the good stuff, not just the stuff I need, you know, I need a hand with. There's definitely as being a broker there's definitely those markets that you would not go and see and then right at the end if you had a tough risk you're like oh uh, you're all right i haven't seen you for a couple of months yeah sorry been really busy <laughs> and then they they're looking at you like oh, yeah all right mate come on what is it um so going back to 
your average sort of days. Now, brokers and underwriters days are sort of similar, but what is your average day like, Sam? You know, how early are you in? When do you leave? What are you doing in a day? How early am I in? Blimey. So, I, yeah, I, I must admit, I, I'm an early bird. Um, so, I, I'm in the office at 7.30 in the morning, um, and I'll spend those few hours up until, say, 11 o'clock um, assessing the, the various policies that I've seen the previous day, previous week. Um, not all of the risks that I underwrite, I'll, I'll underwrite there and then with the broker sat in front of me a lot of the time um, on the risks that I insure, given the, the sort of high values that are involved, um, you have to take the risk away and you have to sort of digest it. And um, I then sort of lean on my sort of in-house petroleum engineer for advice and things. Um, so I'll, I'll sort of spend my day or the first part of my day assessing the various risks that I've got. And then the underwriting hours um, tend to be from 11 in the morning until one o'clock. So at 11, I'll make my way over. I'll sit on the box and effectively wait for brokers to come in and see me um, and hope that they either show me new business or it might be a renewal of a policy that I've, that I've underwritten previously. Um, or there'll be an endorsement to the policy, which is a, a sort of a, a mid year change to the policy um, then there's underwriting hours again in the afternoon from 2.30 until 4.30 and then I go back to the office and then I'm doing the same again sort of assessing those risks I've just seen when we're talking about this sort of the art of being an underwriter there's another sort of side to it isn't there where a broker brings in a, a risk they're trying to win off of another broker so as an underwriter how do you go well, if I cut the price, I might win it off of the other underwriting company. How do you sort of gauge that and assess that? Because it's not, it's not in your interest to go and start undercutting everybody in the market because then, you know, the market will collapse. You've got to be sensible about how you price things, but how do you win business? So you, you try and win business, certainly new business. You, tr you try and win it by um, having superior sort of claims teams that, are able to ensure that claims get paid very quickly so the client isn't out of pocket um, and you have superior sort of engineering expertise um, and you'll have better actuaries than, than the opposition. It's all about having a, having a better team um, and being able to sort of offer something that your, your competitors can't. Um, in terms of sort of winning business and pricing ultimately most of the time yes it does come down to price so i might win a piece of business because i am a hundred thousand dollars cheaper than somebody else who's also quoting that same business to either the same broker or a different broker um but yeah ultimately it's all it's all about trying to get into a position where you're offering a superior service or a cheaper price and you hope that the relationships you've got with the broker then allows the broker to recommend to their client that they want or they should go with me effectively are you in as early as sam phil uh yeah yeah pretty much yeah yeah i'm normally between 7 30 7 45 in the office um you know for me the reason i'm doing that a lot of the business i do is from the us so it comes in overnight and you know we're strive to offer a good quick service to our clients so we try to you know get in get that business prepared to take us that morning um you know we want to try and be in the market you know sam says he gets there at 11 o'clock i'd rather they got there at half 10 um <laughs> just uh, give me a bit more time so you know and you want to get there i mean the ironic thing for us is you have to plan to waste probably half an hour in the morning because you think, well, I probably want to get to half 10, so I'm hopefully at the front of the queue because I don't want to be stuck behind someone else who's got an hour's worth of broking. Uh, you know, I want to get my broking done and get on to the next job. Um, so, yeah, I'm in the morning preparing stuff. Then I'm up for a couple of hours before lunch. Um, and then it varies really in the afternoon, depending on on where you where the pressures are really um you might need to go back out alternatively you're you're confirming everything that you did in the morning um you know you're speaking to your clients at that point um and then yeah i'm probably aim to leave the office 
between 5.30, 6 o'clock. Um, so, yeah, it's a fairly long day. Um, but, you know, travelling on the either end of that, which is the, you know, is the downside for, for us. But you're doing a job that can't really be done anywhere else. So, What do you guys find are the positives you've got out of being in this industry and the opportunities it's provided you, whether that's travel or or you know maybe salary or, or whatever what are the positives that you take out of working in the insurance industry uh, again yes another another really good question um positives i'd say it's number one is probably that it's rewarding um so what we do on a daily basis is helping clients with solutions to their problems um or their concerns so if if they they're basically insuring against an event happening that they don't want to happen but it's up to the broker and the underwriter to kind of work together to find the best solution for for the client um, so it's rewarding from that point of view um, there's very good travel opportunities um, it's obviously as we've said very sociable industry and financially rewarding as well I think in terms of opportunities you the the insurance market and the insurance world is really your oyster. It's you can go as far as your ambition and ability will take you. To be honest, um, you can start as an administrative assistant and go all the way up to CEO. That's not unheard of. I think that's a that's a really good point about ambition in the insurance market. There are no well, I didn't see any ceilings. So you know, you came in, you didn't go to university, Phil, and you know, Sam, you went to uni, but you studied history. You don't. There's no qualifications. There's no prior knowledge. It was just you guys got in, worked really hard, and you you know keep going to as far as you want to go. Yeah, absolutely. It's. I mean, we say we both say we're sort of in at half seven in the morning. I mean, the contract hours are are your standard UK nine to five, um, or probably in Phil's case nine thirty to five thirty, um, but it's yeah. The world is your oyster if you're prepared to put the hours and the work in um, and demonstrate to your bosses and to your clients and to the brokers that you're available as much as possible then you're likely as long as you've got sort of a little bit of ability you're likely to to go further than than those who don't do those things what would be some of the negatives you find in the industry phil um I'm not sure that I find many, to be honest with you. Well, um, commute probably, but yeah, yeah. I mean, if if ideally they could relocate to about ten minutes away from my house, that would be <laughs> perfect. Um, or pay me enough money that I can just live just around the corner from the office. One of the two. <laughs> I, I think we all be. want that uh, luxury. <laughs> but um, yeah, but like for me, you know, very uh, you know similar to uh, to what Sam said. You know, I think there's pl- so many positives about mm. the market. You know. I fell into it by mistake, but, you know, I'm so glad that I did. Um, as we said, you know, it's, I made a lot of friends from the, from the marketplace. Um, I've got to travel to lots of places I probably wouldn't have before. I don't think, I reckon I've been to Vegas about 20 times now, and I don't think I've ever <laughs> would have got away with that otherwise. So, um, and you can, yeah, you can generally drag it out a few days. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, there's. I think there's lots of positives. I mean, I'm sure there are some negatives, and maybe I've just been fortunate not to not to come across them yet. But um, yeah, I, I can't think of any actually that spring to mind. I think the, the only ones I, I can think of really are the fact that the industry, given that it's so old and steeped in tradition, that it can be quite stubborn and quite resistant to change. Yeah, I've, I've found that with a lot of uh, different industries in London, they are very nearly all stuck in their ways they do like their old um old style of things and don't really want to move forward yeah so i mean it's yeah as i say it's very traditional and sort of modernization and moving to sort of more technological solutions is proving a lot slower in the insurance industry than perhaps it it would in in other in other areas um but then yeah as phil rightly points out i I truly believe that they're far more positives than mm. than those negatives. So. I know, sort of, I've, I've joked about about leaving and stuff. It wasn't because I hate the industry. There were parts that I didn't enjoy, but it is it is a brilliant industry. It's fun. It's sociable. If you like sort of the buzz of making deals and you know chatting to people and being social, and you just got to be confident. I think a few times when I first started out, broke in, and you'd sit in front of an underwriter and you know you didn't know it exactly, especially if they're an experienced underwriter. 
and they sort of give you a look and you just get up and walk off and you're like, I'll come back later. Don't worry, I'll check what you want (laughs) and get back to you. But what sort of the the main reason I think I felt that I wanted to leave the industry is but from my point of view, I couldn't see it lasting as it is, as in for the net you know, for a fifty year career of someone my age would have, I didn't see it as being the fun bits were almost becoming less and less of what I was doing. I was doing more over email, more over phone. And I think you do definitely lose something from not having that face to face. There was still there, but the way it's going is electronic placing and less and less time face to face. I don't know if you guys find that and if you think that is the future of it, but Yeah, I mean I think the key thing here, you know, is insurance is always going to be required. You know, companies can't afford to operate they can't afford to run those risks on their balance sheet. So insurance is always going to be an industry that's required. Um, And I think you're you're exactly right. I think that the end, it will change. Um, You know, this, the recent, the recent lockdown period has shown that actually it can work outside of that, uh, you know, outside of that face-to-face negotiation and that environment. However, I strongly believe that it only works based on previously built relationships. So yes, we're able to transact over email and via video call and that at the moment, but that's only because we know the underwriters through that face-to-face interaction we've had with them previously. So whilst I, I agree more and more of, I think the you know, low level, low value insurance type placements will become more and more automated and, and done electronically, I still feel that for the you know for the larger risks the more complex risks there's always going to be that that face to face element required um just because and, and you know that's I think as well why the broker is you know is perhaps a a longer term uh proposition than I perhaps thought it was originally is that you're always going to need um that level of expertise you just not everything can be captured um and and done online i don't think yeah I, absolutely i think from from my perspective yeah absolutely insurance is is always going to be required the only concern i would have um for for my particular job being primarily involved in oil and gas is how long are, how long are those hydrocarbons going to last <laughs> that's <laughs> um, a good point there's there's clearly a lot of clean energy solutions out there um and there's an even greater sort of um, not necessarily demand, but there's a greater su- increase in supply of those clean energy solutions out there now. So, um, yeah, the the point for me is, is oil and gas still going to last? Would it be hard for you to move to a different class, though? Because obviously you've still got those raw underwriter skills. You're just applying it to a different topic, I suppose. That's Yeah, fantastic question. And absolutely, I think one of the great things about underwriting and broking is that you have quite a lot of transferable skills. Um, and if you can if you can underwrite an, an oil rig um, that's sitting in the Gulf of Mexico or in the North Sea, then why can you not insure a piece of art that's sitting in a museum, for example? It's sort of as long as you've got those same skills and the analytical side of things, you just you're insuring insuring a different object. I guess from from your side, Sam, being on the underwriting side, um, maybe bit before your time but actuaries are now a thing aren't they where these guys are actually paid to come in and look at all the data across a widespread of classes and even in the class and and drill down into the numbers do you ever find now that they might be saying "Mm, i don't think you should do that i don't think you should write that risk or is it more just they're there to offer advice like the engineers yeah another good question I'd, i'd say they are becoming definitely more and more prominent in in the industry and certainly for underwriters um they they don't they don't actually, at the moment, they don't dictate what we do on a, on an account or on a policy. Um, they are there in a support, they're a support business function effectively. They enable the underwriter to make good decisions um, and we use actuaries a lot to help us price. Um, so you've got fleets of oil rigs, for example. How do you know what number premium you should put on that? On that policy and we'll use various rating models that the actuaries have built to assist us in making that decision 
I suppose it's then up to you when someone like Phil comes in and starts going, well, well mate, I need this price, you know, and he's 100 grand off and you start going, mm, and there must be some play in the model where, you know, you give 5%, 10% off maybe, and then it's up to you to, that's underwriting, isn't it? That's the, the art of, of what you do. Yeah, absolutely. It's, yeah, pricing models will tell you a number, but the client might not be able to afford that number or the broker might have lots of reasons why that number should be lower than it is. And 95% of the conversations I have with brokers about risks is the negotiation over price, um, because that is fundamentally the, the key part. I mean, as, as Phil was talking about earlier, it, it's all about price and conditions. Um, so yeah, the, that's why at the moment, those actuaries are clearly still a support function and not the sort of the be all and end all. Let's talk cash money. Um, so we're just going to give you some average figures, right? So an average sort of going in both for underwriting and broking um, would seem to be around 18,000 starting up to about 25 maybe as a starter. Graduates maybe on a little bit more than if you come out of school, but that doesn't tend to last long, a couple of years maybe. And then as you progress up, as you guys have mentioned, you know, if you're a senior broker, you can be anything for, from 60 up to, you know, over 100,000. And with, broker, uh, with underwriters, if you get more and more experience, you know, you can get a percentage of books sometimes and you can earn, you know, multiples of 100,000. But is, does that, those figures sort of sit right with you guys? Um, yeah, for me on the broken side, yeah, that's, uh, that's certainly right in the ballpark of where, where we would be looking. Um and yeah, you're right. You know, the the there is no ceiling necessarily, um, and you know, more and more as you progress up the ladder, effectively, um, you know, even on the broken side, um, you know, there is often bonus incentives as well, um, and you know, like uh, like most companies within the within the city these days, you know, the the benefits and that tend to be pretty good. You know, the sort of everything you'd expect from healthcare and pensions and so on so yeah that's certainly right that's a really good point actually the the packages you get working in the industry are brilliant actually aren't they i think they're probably some of the best you can get in in the uk job wise yeah yeah i mean i think most companies we say yeah we'll offer offer you healthcare offer you pensions you know help with your um you know interest-free loans on season tickets um to get you know buying a season ticket into london is not cheap so you know any help you can get with that is also is is greatly received yeah absolutely and yeah from from an underwriting perspective yeah you're you're pretty much bang on as well i'd say sort of as your school leaver your average school leaver coming into industry is yeah looking at sort of 18 to twenty thousand, and then if you've got a degree perhaps 21 to twenty five thousand um would be my sort of estimate um and then as you progress through then yeah absolutely you can yeah the the sky is the limit it's it tends to build and your salary and bonus and package as a whole tends to build with the experience that you've got. Um, so you you won't sort of start off, it's a slow burner, I think is effectively what I'm trying to say. It's it's a slow burner, it takes a while to, to sort of earn those numbers that, that you're talking at the top end. Um, but it's one of those that if you're willing to put in the hours and put in the work, then the rewards are there for you if you if you desire them. So if someone was to uh, go away today and look up some um, insurance job descriptions out there, what would be something that you guys have to deal with that probably isn't written down on one of those? Um, I think, you know, the, the sort of job where level where people are going into and coming into an insurance broker, um, if they're looking to come into the city, I mean, Really, they're going to be looking at coming in on an admin role. Um, does a train? You might still get the odd trainee broker type role, but more and more, it tends to be you know, broken houses tend to take in people on an admin basis, um, or like account uh, assistant, and then you know, give them the opportunity to work their way up. You're, you're very unlikely to, you know, decide you're going to be a broker and come in and go straight out on day one. Um, generally, you know, you you want, and you know, I say this is the way I work with my team. Um, you know, I want people to come in at the bottom and have a ground in and learn the business from the ground up. Um, 
so they're ready to go and they're prepared when when they're going out to the market now what's that not going to tell them it's not going to tell them that they're going to do a lot of scanning and they're <laughs> going <laughs> to and they're going to do quite a bit of data entry um however you know that is also balanced with you know the opportunity to go out occasionally and i think it's yeah there will be you have to expect it's going to be an office-based admin job for the first few years but you know as we've said all along you know the opportunities are there for much greater um if you're willing to put the work in i think from a personal point of view as well you you're bang on you know you get into an admin role or you know a support role um me personally i think that only lasted about two years maybe you know once you earn the trust then okay run with it it's quite it's quite good in that aspect yeah yeah i i I think you're right once you've shown that you have the ability and the capabilities then yeah your 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 manager is going to let you run with that um and you know they'll give you the rope to hang yourself effectively um and yeah that's where i think you know going back a little while we say that the key it's very important that you know the risks you're taking out and you know you you know what is expected of you um and yeah if you can prove that you have the skills to do that then yeah you've got you've got every opportunity to go and do what you want to do yeah and, and similarly on on the underwriting side i think the the only thing i can think of that perhaps wouldn't be in the job description is luck um <laughs> <laughs> you, were, you write your first risk day one as a claim probably that's yeah well, that's mean. yeah quite i mean that that is yeah that's something that you definitely don't want i mean as as an underwriter um you you'd r- much rather have a lucky underwriter than than a good underwriter <laughs> in in your team i reckon because ultimately it comes down to you want to bring more premium in than you're paying out in claims mm. so someone that's lucky that tends to avoid claims is going to pay out less and therefore earn more so yeah that's sort of one of the things that, that perhaps wouldn't be in a job description they can both be stressful jobs but now, being a broker personally yes it can be very stressful but i must think when you're an underwriter and you first because they still sign it so they, still, they have something called a scratch and they still sign off on documents to say yes we agree to this you must have been absolutely shitting yourself <laughs> when you're writing your first oil risk I, I must admit, there might have been a slight tremor in my hand when I had that <laughs> pen in it, signing that first risk that, that I'd insured. Um, it's, yeah, I mean, by the very nature of what I insure, oil rigs are high-value assets. So, yeah, absolutely, if if it goes wrong, you're going to cost your company quite a lot of money. So, yeah, absolutely, it's, um, yeah, I was rather nervous, shall we say. <laughs> We've already sort of covered this, but how do you, would you guys say you progress? So as an underwriter, how do you progress? And as a broker, how do you progress in the industry? We've already talked about, you know, hard work, but what are some things you can focus on to really sort of climb the ladder? I'd say rule number one is don't try and run before you can walk. And I think that's essential. I think I've seen over the last few years, more and more people sort of coming into the industry and they want to take over the world. They want to earn the big salaries much quicker than perhaps you is possible guilty <laughs> um so yeah absolutely. don't try and run before you can walk so as phil pointed out earlier sort of he wants his team to really understand the risk and before they sort of go out and start broking it that's absolutely essential and um, there's no real shortcuts in the industry because if something goes wrong or you don't know the answer you're going to get found out very quickly and and one of the sort of more nerve-wracking things is sometimes claims do go to court and you'll have to stand up in court and be prepared to um, explain your rationale and and your decision-making process Um, and that's something that can only really be learned and taught with experience Um, so yeah don't try and run before you can walk Um, and yeah hard work dedication diligence um, yeah, I think for me, yeah, it is, it is more or less, as we said earlier, I think, yeah, the attention to detail, making sure you know what it is you're doing before you go and try and do it. Um, and, you know, listen, uh, listen to and, like, and learn from your colleagues. I think for me, um, you know, the first, first, I, I don't know, few months i suppose you know i was going with 
with my senior colleague, listening to their technique, listening to what they're saying, what they're doing, what sort of information do they know um, about this risk that I need to know. And you get also you get a, you get a feel over time as well for what different underwriters want. One underwriter might want something. You know, he's always going to ask what color is the front door. Like it's irrelevant to the risk, but he wants to know it every time. And you know, you want to know that information, what that person wants. But yeah, I think there aren't really shortcuts. Um, it comes down really to yeah, take your time to learn what it is you need to know. Take your time to learn about the product you're selling and what you're offering. Um, and then yeah, you will get that natural progression. I think you know, I don't. Um, I don't think really when I joined, I'd, I'd been being a broker, like, but you know, the opportunities clearly were there. And, you know, you learn, you have to almost learn as you go along, what do I need to do to take that opportunity and yeah, just make sure you're positioning yourself the best way you can. So uh, a favorite question we like to ask at the end of uh, each podcast is, would you go back into it? Would I go back into it if I had my time again? Um, absolutely. Yeah. I think, it's it's sociable it's rewarding um financially rewarding as well there's good travel opportunities um we we tried to touch on some negatives of which there are very few um and yeah i i'd do it all over again um perhaps i'd try a different class of business not because i dislike oil and gas I, i never had the intention when i went into insurance to to do oil and gas it was just that 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 was the position that I was offered at the time and I sort of had to learn on the job very quickly and use sort of using the experience of the engineers in the team that sort of know far more about it than than I do being specialists um so yeah it's it's certainly something that I would do um but perhaps try a different class um there's there's so many different classes of business I mean specialty insurance is the the possibilities are are endless. I think you you can insure anything from sort of David Beckham's left foot, for example, prior to him going to the World Cup. I remember that was that was a risk that was going round in the market to to terrorism insurance or kidnap and ransom insurance or horse racing. I mean, the, the it's vast. The the opportunities um, and the different class of business you can go into is is very very varied, and there's probably something in there for everyone. Um, yeah, I have to agree. You know, given the choice again, I definitely wouldn't join the police again. Um, <laughs> I would, certainly would go into insurance, though. Um, yeah, it's as we've said. You know, it's I, it's very sociable. Made some great friends there. Financially, it can be rewarding, um, and I actually find it interesting. Um, you know, I'm sure there's parts of insurance that are boring um, that, that that people will find boring. I'm fortunate I quite enjoy what I do um, and yeah I don't I have to say you know I don't wake up in the morning thinking oh shit I've got to go to work I actually quite like it that's absolutely brilliant to hear guys thank you so much for coming on no, brilliant thank you for having yeah. us it's been a pleasure thank thanks you. guys cheers cheers, cheers. <laughs>